Well, happy Mother's Day to all our moms and all of our grandmas. We hope you feel celebrated and loved today. I know Mother's Day brings with it many emotions. Uh, there's joy, there's celebration, and for many there are other emotions because we have mothers who have passed away or we have wounds around motherhood. Whether you need today encouragement or inspiration, I'm excited for you because God has an incredible word for us from scripture today, and it's a word that'll meet you right where you are. But first, I have a question. Does anyone remember climbing trees as a kid? Can you remember what it was like to climb a tree? I remember my neighbors had these two really tall pine trees, and I would climb all the way to the top of the one, and I could look out and I could see the whole neighborhood. It was such a blast. And if you remember climbing trees, you might remember that sometimes on the way down, you get your clothing caught on a branch. And the other day I was uh, working in the yard and I heard a noise in the backyard. And so I went around to the backyard and here's what I found. My son Jack <laughs> had gotten literally hung up. So, you know, like a good dad, the very first thing I did was pull out my phone to take, <laughs> to take a picture of him. And, uh, but I did ask for his permission, to, and he said he, that I could use this. So, uh, so there's Jack. You know, sometimes what you hope for and what happens are two different things. And we're going to talk today about the times in life when what you have hoped for seems hopeless. The times when what you've hoped for seems hopeless. I've shared with some of you the journey of our youngest. Uh, we adopted our youngest from Haiti, and we started when she was one week old. And it took almost three years to complete that adoption. And there was a point about two years in when the government of Haiti changed their laws and it looked like it was completely impossible. Here's a picture of me with Evie, our youngest, at that point. And this was one of those trips. Mel and I, at this point, we had invested uh, tens of thousands of dollars, countless hours, just an emotional roller coaster of trying to complete an international adoption and it was right after we got home from this visit that we got word that the laws had changed and all of a sudden everything we had invested and all the love that we had poured into this little girl it seemed completely hopeless and I want to talk with you today about that emotion in your life about that situation in your life what can you do when what you've been hoping for seems hopeless this last month, I've prayed with two different families here in our church who are just godly moms and dads who love God and love his word and who raised their kids and did everything right. But both families have adult children where one of the children has gotten into a drug addiction and have gone through multiple rehab facilities and continue to get re-enslaved in that addiction. And as I cried with those parents, prayed with those parents both felt like, John, we've done everything we can, but humanly speaking, it seems like a hopeless situation. I don't know where in your life you're experiencing hopelessness, but I want to give you encouragement from the Word of God. I want to give you an answer to this question that's very practical that you can take with you today. So let's look in Hebrews chapter 11 where God begins to answer this question. And here's what he says in verses 1 and 2, God says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. And it is assurance about what we do not see. 
This, believing when you can't see it, when it seems impossible, is what the ancients were commended or applauded for. So what we're going to learn from God's word today, you can summarize it this way. Keep hoping for the desires of your heart. And for some of you here, the desires of your heart, that dream has been so broken or those hopes have been so shattered that you've given up on hoping. You've gotten a little cynical, a little jaded, or you might just say a little wise. You've had enough times in life where you really believed, you really hoped for something and it didn't happen that you've kind of concluded maybe it's just easier to not hope for anything big. Maybe it's just easier to keep my expectations low. And if that's you, I believe God brought you here today to encourage you to get back up and keep believing that God has a good plan for your life and God has good things for you and to keep hoping for the desires of your heart. We all have within us desires that are good things. We desire to be loved. We desire to have family. We desire to be fulfilled. We desire to use our gifts. We desire to provide for the people we care about. Those are not evil or bad desires. Keep hoping for the desires of your heart. But what we're going to see today is that hope can be rooted and planted on a foundation that is unshakable and that is sure. And that is to plant your hope in the God who never fails. Keep hoping for the desire of your heart, but plant your hope in the God who never fails. In Hebrews chapter 11, we looked at part of it, and it's this chapter that's known as the Hall of Faith. It is almost like walking through a museum hallway where we have these different men and women who continued to believe in God in impossible situations and continued to hope in God when everything looked hopeless. And I want to ask you to take a moment and be honest with yourself. What is it that you're hoping for? As some of you, you're in a season of life where things are going pretty well. You've reached some goals. You've had some successes. And so right away you can say, yeah, here's the next thing I'm hoping for. Others of you, you're in a season, I've been in this season in my life, where you're afraid to even say what you hope for. Because like I mentioned earlier, you've just been let down so many times. And even this thought of writing on your program or identifying in your mind, what is it that I hope for? If you're honest, you think, I, I, I almost don't want to say, I don't even want to open that part of my heart up because I'm going to say I hope for this and then it's just going to be one more broken dream on the junk heap of broken dreams and shattered hopes that is my life. And if that's you, I want to encourage you today to open that part of your heart back up and to give hope a chance again. So I wonder, what is it you're hoping for? Are you hoping maybe for a physical healing? Are you hoping to find a spouse, a life partner? Are you hoping perhaps for a pregnancy? Are you hoping for a wayward child, hoping that they'll call today or hoping that they will make their way back to your family or make their way back to a faith in God. Maybe you're hoping for an open door somewhere where your life seems to be closed off and stuck. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you're hoping for strength or for success in an important area of life. In my experience, nobody embodies hope better than a mom. Uh, moms are great at hoping. I've noticed this when babies are born. Moms never think that their baby is ugly. 
So every once in a while, you'll get one of these babies that just looks weird, you know? <laughs> it's like, that baby looks like a 120-year-old guy, you know? But to that mom, oh, that's the most beautiful kid in the world, you know? And, and, and our kids are all the smartest, and they're all the most athletic, and they're all, you know, the hope of a mom, the moms embody hope that you can continue to hope, and moms embody this in such a beautiful way. And I want to encourage you, if your circumstances have clouded your hope or buried your hope, if you've given up on hope, I want to encourage you to dust those off, brush them off, and resurrect your hopes today, because we're going to learn you can hope for the desires of your heart, but you can choose to plant your hope in the God who never fails. We see this in the story of Sarah, and I'll tell you a little bit about Sarah. Sarah's mentioned in the book of Genesis. She's one of the first people mentioned in God's story with humanity. And Sarah starts as just an ambitious, optimistic, beautiful young woman. She's got all of life ahead of her, and she's full of hope. And she meets this godly young man named Abraham. And Abraham's a strong man. He's a successful man. And they get married. And Sarah is so hopeful for their future. In fact, her hope goes to another level because God actually comes to Abraham and Sarah and he gives them a promise. And he promises them that Abraham is going to be the father of many nations and that Sarah's kids will be the parents of nations, that one of her sons will, will birth an entire nation. And so Sarah, at a young age, not yet wrinkled and not yet broken down by life, has this just optimistic hope. And, and like many of us, she starts off that way, but the rocks of life pretty soon start to beat against her hopes. You see, God tells her that she's going to be a mom, but months start to go by and she's not getting pregnant. And then years start to go by and she's not getting pregnant, but she still has this great hope in God. You know, Sarah had a large family, and I can just imagine what it must have been like when Sarah would show up at a family gathering and early in her marriage and life would have had these younger cousins, probably four and five years old. And I can just imagine Sarah being as human as we are playing with those little four- and five-year-olds and thinking, someday I'm going to have a four-year-old. Someday I'm going to have a five-year-old. Holding one of her cousin's babies and thinking, someday I'm going to be holding a baby. And maybe she even shares with some of her relatives, God gave me and Abraham this promise. Our kids are going to be influential. And she shares these hopes, she shares these dreams, and more years go by. And she sees the family again, and those little four- and five-year-old kids... Well, now they're starting to have kids. But Sarah still doesn't have any kids. And she starts to feel abandoned by God. She starts to feel insufficient and inadequate because all her peers have had kids and now the kids she babysat are having kids and she can't have kids. But she's told everyone this great promise from God. and She starts to feel a little bit foolish. She starts to feel a little bit silly, and she starts to feel like maybe all that hope was misplaced. I imagine Sarah having conversations with God like this. God, why would you tell me that I'll be the mother of nations, and now my little cousins are grandmas, and I don't even have one child to show? 
Because you see, the years soon turned to decades. And now 30 years have gone by, 40 years have gone by, and Sarah still has nothing to show. And eventually, her body goes through menopause, and she realizes that humanly speaking, physically speaking, this great dream that she had, this hope that she clung to was impossible. And everything about Sarah's circumstances screamed that God had forgotten her. Everything about her surroundings shouted that God had abandoned her. And I wonder if maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you've had a time in your life, maybe you're there right now, where you still believe in God, you want to love God, but everything about your circumstances just screams that he's forgotten you. Everything about your surroundings shouts that he has abandoned you. And that's where Sarah found herself. That's where Sarah lived for 90 years. For 90 years before God does a miracle at the very end of her life, gives her a miraculous child who will become the man who launches the nation of Israel and through whom eventually Jesus, the Messiah, will be born. God keeps his promise, but it didn't happen right away. And Sarah, we're going to see in her story, has these ups and downs where she doubts God, where she gives up on hope. But what I love, the book of Hebrews as it summarizes her entire life, says this about Sarah in verse 11. Hebrews 11, verse 11 says this. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, right? She was biologically way too old to be having a baby. But God allowed her to. God kept his promise. And the verse says this happened because she considered him faithful who had promised. So Sarah had planted her hope. Her hope was for a baby, but she had planted her hope in the God who's faithful. She hoped for a baby, but her hope was not in her body or in her husband or in her circumstances. She hoped for a baby, but she planted her hope in the God who never fails. And she said, I don't understand what's happening. It looks impossible. It is impossible. But God made me a promise, and I know God always keeps his promises, and he will be faithful. I love it that Sarah's faith, we know from the book of Genesis, it gives us a lot more detail, it wavered. There was a time where Sarah laughed at God. God shows up, she's in her 70s, and he reminds Abraham of this promise, and Sarah laughs at God. There was a time where Sarah took matters into her own hands and she outright sinned and tried to make this, this hope happen by her own power. Sarah made lots of mistakes. Her hope was not perfect. Her life was not perfect. But in summary, at the end of her life, she did believe in God. And I love that because you know what? My hope's not perfect. My faith is not perfect. I have times where I doubt. And this reassures me Sarah's life and God's record of Sarah's life reassures me that when my faith wavers it doesn't mean that I don't have faith you see Sarah's hope was not perfect her faith was not perfect but the object of her hope was perfect the object of her faith almighty God was perfect Sarah's faith wavered at times but her faith was consistently in an unwavering God and so how do we place our hope in God when our circumstances are discouraging or outright hopeless? Here's the first way. I place my hope in God by choosing, and that's a key word. 
I choose to believe that my God will prevail, even if it looks impossible, and even if it's not right away, even if it's not immediate. You see, Sarah, for all her flaws, for all her mistakes, for all the moments of doubt, overall, she continued to believe, my God will prevail. His promises will be true. And it looks impossible, it is impossible. And it's definitely not happening when I wanted it to happen. It's taking a lot longer than I thought or hoped. But I'm going to continue to believe my God will prevail, even if it looks impossible, and even if it's not immediate. I want you to think for a minute about the difference between what you hope for and what you hope in. And here's a really practical example. When you get in your car, what are you hoping for? Well, you're hoping for a safe trip to wherever you want to go. What are you hoping in? You're hoping in your vehicle to deliver that. Right? Every morning when I wake up, I hope for a safe trip to work. I hope in my old Toyota Land Cruiser with 280,000 miles. It never lets me down. Okay? So do you see how what I hope for and what I hope in are two different things? And it's the same with you. What you hope for and what you hope in are two different things. Now, humanly, we tend to, when we hope for a baby, we look at the human circumstance. We say, I'm going to hope for a healthy body. I'm going to hope for the right doctors. But what God is encouraging us today is whatever the hope is in your life, keep hoping for it, but plant your hope in God as the only one who can make it happen, as the one who is good, who loves you, who will keep his promises to you and who will ultimately do what's best for you. Don't give up hoping for the desire of your heart, but be intentional to place your hope in the God who's the only one who can deliver it. In other words, define what you're hoping for and decide who you're hoping in. Define what you're hoping for and decide who you're hoping in. You see, a Christian hope is not some mere optimism that says, well, You know, I just kind of hope things will work out. A Christian hope is a sure belief in the promises of an almighty God who never fails. Christian hope is a hope in the God who always keeps his promises and who promises to work all things together for your good. Doesn't mean everything that comes into your life will be good, but he'll work it all together for good. If you think of the ingredients in all the different sweets that we'll eat today for Mother's Day... Most of those ingredients by themselves are not very tasty. Eggs or salt, raw eggs, salt, baking powder. But if you mix them together in the right way, out comes a great cake or something else. In the same way, the ingredients of our lives often are distasteful. But God is like a master chef, and as we trust in him, he's able to mix it all together. And so we continue to plant our hope in our God and believe my God will prevail just like Sarah continued to do for 90 years. Well, what does this look like in your life? Let me give you some examples. Here's what this looks like. You might pray this way to God. You might say, God, I'm hoping with confident expectation for a healing where I'm sick or a loved one is sick. I'm hoping for a healing, but God, I know that only you can do it, so my hope is in you. God, I'm hoping for a restored relationship with this wayward child. That's what I hope for. But God, you're the only one who could reach the heart of that child. And so my hope is in you. God, I hope for an open door. 
where this situation looks impossible. But God, my hope is not that door, that situation, the circumstance. My hope is in you. Lord, only you could heal this marriage. Or only you could conceive a child. That's what I hope for. But God, I'll I'll be honest with you. Here's what I hope for. But I'm choosing to place my hope in you and in your promises. Lord, here's what I hope for. But my hope is in you. And this is a theme for God's people ever since sin came into the world until Christ returns to extinguish sin from our lives that we hope in God through the hard times. Here's how one faithful person of God put it in Psalm chapter 42, verse 11. The psalmist writes, Why are you downcast, O my soul? It's really important that we not skip over that word downcast because here's a faithful person of God, someone who God used to write scripture, and this person is going through a season of discouragement, a season of outright depression. And sometimes I need to be reminded when I look at scripture that, you know what, being discouraged, feeling down emotionally, walking through a season of depression is not unspiritual. It doesn't make you a bad Christian. It doesn't make you a bad person when you find yourself downcast. Sarah often did during her 90 years of waiting for God to fulfill his promise. She was discouraged at times. She was downcast at times. And you will be as you walk through this world. You know, there's some things in life that are just unpleasant. There's some things that are just gross. I've joked in here before about childbirth the first time when my oldest was born. I mean, it's just disgusting. Childbirth is just nasty. So, again, moms, I mean, us men joke about we could never do what you do, but it's not a joke. I mean, it's amazing. We could not. There's lots of gross things in life, right? Like when I wake up in the morning, if I have not drank a glass of water or mouthwashed or brushed my teeth, you don't want to have a conversation with me. Because my breath when I wake up is just nasty. And I I know I'm the only person in the room with that condition, but (laughs) some things in life are just unpleasant, right? I'm going to the bathroom. It's not pleasant. There's just things about life. There's things about life that are are not pleasant. And here's the thing. It's, It's the same in the emotional realm. You will go through seasons of life that are not pleasant. You will go through seasons of life where you're downcast or discouraged. And and don't fall for the lie that if you find yourself in one of those seasons, you're a bad Christian or a bad person. You know what you are if you find yourself discouraged? What kind of person you are? You're a normal person. If you find yourself depressed, you're trying to follow Jesus, you're trying to do the right things, but you're, you're just discouraged by things that have happened, what kind of Christian does that make you? That makes you a normal Christian. Okay, but here's the beauty. So, so don't beat yourself up in those seasons, okay? Be encouraged. It's normal. But here's the beauty. When you find yourself in that season, you actually have before you one of the great opportunities of life. Because when you find yourself downcast and discouraged, the soil of your heart has been prepared by the difficulties of life to receive the seed of hope. And you get a seed of hope. You have a seed of hope. And only you can choose where are you going to plant it. Where are you going to plant your seed of hope? Sometimes we're discouraged and so we're not even really thinking. We just want to feel better. So we scroll through social media hoping it will make us feel better. Or we go shopping hoping that buying some stuff will make us feel better. Or we eat. Or we go for success. Or we make a phone call hoping it will make us feel better 
God says this, you've got your one seed of hope. And in the hard times, the soil of your heart has been prepared and softened. It's been uh, softened by the storms of life. Take that seed of hope and put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. This is about your volition. This is about your choice. This is about your will of saying, in my discouragement, in my disillusionment, in my despair, I'm going to choose to plant my seed of hope, not in my circumstances, but in my God. And this is a theme all throughout Scripture. Uh, Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Peter's writing to Christians who are persecuted. Peter himself, who had known Jesus, had been with Jesus at the Last Supper, had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Peter was being persecuted physically. He would end up giving his life for his faith in Christ. And he writes to Christians who are discouraged and hurting, and he says this in 1 Peter 1, verse 13, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter's saying when you find yourself, and Christians have found themselves in prisons and in famines, Peter says, zoom out, this life is temporary, Christ is going to return, and whether it's you breathe your last breath on earth, or if we get to be alive when he descends through the clouds, we're going to see Christ, and all the nations will gather before him as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will right all the wrongs of history. And the final tears from our eyes will be wiped away. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. And Peter says, when you go through a hard time, set your hope on Christ. He will be faithful to his promises. And what I love about this verse is that Peter uses this word fully. In other words, not, don't just kind of hope in God, but commit. I'm fully planting my seed of hope. In God I have no other hope my hope is not my circumstances it's not my spouse it's not my body it's not my health it's not my child it's not my relationship I hope for a lot of things in those areas but I hope in the God who never fails and I'm intentionally volitionally planting my seed of hope in a God who never fails I worked on an apple orchard in Michigan growing up on my summers as a high school student and throughout college. And I remember one time when the owner of the orchard gave me a unique job. I hadn't done it before anyways. He said, John, I want you to take this field and prepare the field and plant these pine trees. So he showed me what to do. And I prepared the soil, made these nice rows. And then he showed me exactly how far to space apart and how deep to dig the hole. And I prepared everything. And then I took these cute little baby pine trees little things, and planted them and filled this whole field with them. And I hadn't been back there in years, but I was back there a summer or two ago, and I got to visit the orchard, and I got to the area where I had planted those little baby pines. And guess what? They're all taller than I am now. They're bigger than I am. They've grown strong. Why? Because they're planted in one place. And so their roots have gone deep. And scripture says this. It says that the person who continues to trust in God will be like a tree that's planted by streams of living water. And through the storms of life, they're actually just watering the soil. 
the storms of life are actually growing you as you stay planted in God, as you keep your hope planted in God and you grow up in time to become, scripture talks about an oak of righteousness, an unmovable tree. And those believers we know who are so strong in their faith, so hopeful in hopeless situations are often the ones who've been through the most storms and through the most rain in life. Well, Sarah's life teaches us a second way that we can place our hope in God, and it's this. I choose to believe that my God is not limited by what has happened. You see, at the beginning, it was easy for Sarah to believe in God, but as month after month goes by and she's not pregnant, and then those months turn to years, and then those years turn to decades, the human response is to think, God can't do it because of what has happened. I haven't been able to get pregnant for 40 years. Why would I be able to get pregnant now? But Sarah believed, and we know again, not perfectly, but consistently, that God was not limited by what happened. Now I'm going to give an analogy for some of the math people and the accounting people, and bear with me if you're not one of those, okay? But I want everyone to understand what we're learning today. You guys know how a graph, a graph goes up like this. Like if you look at a stock market graph of, say, Coca-Cola or Apple, it, it's got lots of ups and downs. And there are times when the market crashes and it goes down. But if it's a really good company like Coca-Cola or Apple, you look over the course of decades. And while there are lots of drops and downturns, the overall trajectory is upward. And that was the case in Sarah's life. She had moments where she laughed at God and, and she doubted God. She had moments where she didn't hold on to hope, where she didn't hold on to faith. But those moments did not define her. The overall trajectory of her life was upward because she continued to believe in God. And when she lost her hope, lost her faith, she would pick herself back up. She would remind herself of God's promises and she would continue to believe. And I believe that God brought some of you into this room today because you've, you've had a drop. And he wants to encourage you that that drop in your faith or in your hope, that does not define you. That doesn't have to be the conclusion summary of your life. You can continue to place your hope and faith in God even when it looks impossible because God's not limited by what has happened. He's not limited by your mistakes or by the mistakes of the people around you. Another godly person put it this way in Lamentations chapter 3. My soul is downcast within me. So here's another person who's had faith and hope in God. But now their circumstances are difficult and they're discouraged. And so this I call to mind. And therefore that's why I have hope. It's because of the Lord's great love that we're not consumed. And his compassion never fails. And his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In other words, in the middle of my discouragement, I remind myself, my God loves me and my God is faithful. And I remind myself that I have life today. I'm on this one rock in the universe that sustains life in this delicate balance of our our tilt on our axis to the sun and how we rotate around the sun and our weather patterns, all these delicate things that if one factor changed, we wouldn't even have life. 
We have life because of him. We are sustained because of him. And his great love is unchanging. And he always, always keeps his promises. I wonder, have you become a person of hope or have you become a person of complaints? Would the people who live around you say, this is a person who consistently complains or this is a person who consistently speaks hope? And if you say, yeah, I know I complain more than I would like to, how do I get to be a hopeful person? The answer is very simple. Move your hope away from what you're hoping for and plant your hope in the God who always loves you and who always keeps his promises. Well, Sarah gives us a third way to place our hope in God, and it's this. I place my hope in God by choosing to believe that my God is fighting for me. Did you know today that your God is fighting for you? Did you know that when Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins and your mistakes, he was fighting for you? He was taking your punishment and your mistakes upon himself willingly. Your creator loves you. He fights for you. He makes sacrifices to restore you to himself. And you don't always see it, but he is fighting for you today. And he's working all things together for you today. Even when it doesn't look like it. Even when it doesn't seem like it. For 90 years of Sarah's life, it didn't look like God was fighting for her. It didn't feel like God was fighting for her. It looked and felt like God had abandoned her. But actually, he had this great plan. And in the end, her son Isaac would become the father of an entire nation. And in the end, she would become an ancestor to the Messiah. And God kept his promise. But for so long, it didn't look like he was fighting for her. And you need to know today, your creator loves you. And in the person of Jesus Christ, he fought his way back to you. And he longs every day for you to turn to him and believe in him. And he patiently waits for you. And the moment that we place our faith in Christ, we get a promise that we can cling to in the storms of life. And it's here in Romans chapter 8. God says this about all who've placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And in all things, God works for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. Now we've learned, if you've been with us for a few months, we did a series in February on suffering and pain. It doesn't, this verse doesn't mean that everything in your life is sent directly from God. We know from scripture in the spiritual realm there's an adversary named Satan or the devil. And there is evil in this world because of that. And in your life, people have free will and they will make choices. And so that's why drunk drivers kill people. That's why abuse happens. This verse does not mean that everything that happens in your life is good. But it means that as a follower of Christ, he will be faithful to turn it for good in the end. Just like we talked about with those ingredients for a Mother's Day cake. You will have bitter ingredients in your life. I have bitter ingredients in my life. But as a follower of Christ, just like Sarah could cling to that promise, she knew God had given her a specific promise. You will be a mother to nations. And she could cling to that. You can cling to this. This promise is for you. And no matter what you go through, when the ingredients of life are bitter and you want to give up, you cling to this and you say, 
I don't, it, it looks impossible. I don't know how God could possibly bring good from it, but I know he's given me this promise. Joseph in the book of Genesis is a great example of this because God gave Joseph a promise and then Joseph was betrayed by his family. He was sold as a slave. He was imprisoned for years. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. And for years and years, his life gets worse and worse, but he continues to believe in God. And then God elevates him. He ends up becoming the second most powerful person in Egypt. He ends up becoming a person of great influence and wealth. But the key part of Joseph's story is he looks back at all the difficulty he went through. And he says to those brothers who betrayed him and sold him as a slave, he says, you meant it for evil, but God was able to turn it and work it for good. And in the same way, when evil comes into our lives, when pain comes into our lives, when hopeless situations come into our lives, instead of placing our hope in the situation, we can hope for a resolution of that situation, which will come in time, but we plant our hope in the God who works all things together for good. And we claim that as a promise. Verse 35 of Romans 8 says, who or what can separate you from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, does trouble mean that God has stopped loving you? Does hardship mean that God has stopped loving you? For followers of Christ who've lived in the Soviet Union and through famines and through persecutions, did those difficulties mean that God had stopped loving them? Do your difficulties mean God has stopped loving you? Not at all. Verse 37 says, no, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. Who loved us. His love is what we plant our hope in. His unchanging character. His faithfulness to his promises. And Sarah was one of these conquerors. As she went through difficulty. Not because her faith was perfect. But the object of her faith was perfect. Her faith wavered. But the object of her faith never wavered. And Christ says to you today. You can believe in the same way. Verses 38 and 39 say. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, the death of a loved one, neither angels nor demons, we talked about the evil that's in our lives because of demonic forces in the unseen realm, neither the present, the situation you feel stuck in, nor the future, mistakes that you'll make and others will make, nor any other powers, nor anything else in all creation has the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we plant our hope in the God who is faithful and we claim these promises from his word. Well, I told you at the beginning a little bit of the story of Evie in that time when we had gone to the orphanage and seen Evie and got back and it seemed hopeless. Now, obviously God came through in that story and there's lots of details that I could share with you if I had the time, but God was faithful and we continued to hope for that adoption to be completed, but we continued to plant our hope in the God who never fails. And it didn't happen as fast as we would have liked. It wasn't immediate. And it did look impossible, but God in the end was faithful. Now, I want to tell you an uh, under part of Evie's story that I haven't shared with any of you before. And it's this. It's about the guy who introduced me and Mel to the orphanage. Uh, the guy who introduced me to Mel, this is his, uh, Tim Parker. Tim's a character. 
And here's the thing you need to know about Tim Parker, because I know on Mother's Day, one of the deep wounds is that there are children who've wandered away, children who are estranged. And Tim was a prodigal son who had wandered away from God and his family and who was estranged. Uh, Tim grew up with godly parents who loved the Lord, but in his life he became an alcoholic and then he became a drug addict. And while he was addicted to drugs, Tim made wrong choices that landed him not only in jail, but also in prison. And for decades, Tim had a godly mother who kept praying for him. And when it seemed completely hopeless, she hoped for her son to get set free from his addiction. She hoped for him to live a stable life. She hoped for him to return to God and to her, but she planted her hope in the God who never fails, but you need to understand that for years and years, what she hoped for looked hopeless for years. But then one day, God broke through to Tim, and he'd gone to lots of addiction treatment centers and always ended up getting back into the drugs that he was addicted to, but one day, God broke through, and Tim started to change, and Tim has completely transformed, and now Tim runs a facility for addicts in Prescott, Arizona called the Set Free Center where he ministers to people who are enslaved to addiction like he was. And part of running the Set Free Center is Tim will gather these addicts who can't get off of meth or cocaine or heroin or whatever their drug is and he'll take them to Haiti. He takes them to Haiti because in Haiti they don't even have a lot of those drugs. It's just too poor of a country. And the people see the poverty and it's a great perspective check for some of these addicts. So what does Tim do in Haiti? Well, he takes these addicts to an orphanage and they serve the kids and and they keep up the facilities. So Tim was a guy in my church when I was a pastor in Arizona and he was always encouraging because God had transformed his life so much. And one day, as Mel starts to tell me, John, I think we're supposed to adopt, Tim is in our living room, and he opens up this photo album, and he starts showing us these pictures of all these kids who don't have a family. And it's because of Tim Parker, it's because of a wayward child, a prodigal, an estranged son who seemed like a hopeless case. But the prayers of a mom and the hope of a mom who kept hoping in God and it's because of Tim that Evie's in my family now. It's because of Tim that I have my youngest daughter. It's because of Tim that Mel and I experienced one of the greatest growth opportunities in our lives. And I want to encourage you, whatever it is that you're hoping for, don't give up hoping for it. But just like Tim's mom and just like Sarah, choose to plant your hope in the God who never fails. Keep hoping for the desires of your heart. Don't give up. Dust them off today. Pick them back up today. But choose to plant your hope in the God who never fails. I'd like to help you make that choice by praying with you now. Let's pray together. Father, across this room, Lord, you see the broken dreams. You see the shattered hopes. You see the young optimism and you see the experienced cynicism. You see where we have felt abandoned by you. You see where we have felt even betrayed by you. And Lord, across this room right now, for my brothers and my sisters, for all who are here, I pray that you will give us the willpower to turn toward you and to plant our hope in you. 
Lord, where some people are afraid to even hope again, I pray that you'll give them the strength and the faith today to hope for a reunion with that child. Hope for an ending to that story that only God could make. Hope for the family they dream of or the spouse they dream of or the life they dream of where it is good and pleasing to you. Lord, we dust off those hopes today. But what we really want to choose at our heart levels, we want to plant our seed of hope in you. We place our faith in you. You are a good God. You are a faithful God. You always keep your promises. You love us even when we betray you. You love us even when we forget you. And across this room, Lord, I just pray for every hope that seems hopeless that you will give my brothers and my sisters the strength to say, I plant my hope in God again. I plant my hope in Christ again, the God who is good and who never fails. Lord, strengthen our hope in you, we ask. And across this room now, I, just, I wanna encourage you as you're sitting, we're about to sing a song that enables you to plant that seed of hope. And if the best way for you to, is to just stay seated, just let the lyrics wash over you. If you wanna stand, you can stand. But what I wanna encourage you is to stay connected to God in your mind and in your heart. And as you hear these words and think on them, keep making that choice to say, God, you know what I hope for. I've defined what I hope for, but today I'm deciding who I hope in you. And my hope is in the Lord. Let's pray that as we sing now.